Testing one, two, three, four, five, six. I can show off and go further. I think I was so anxious last week uh, to get up here, I think I discouraged any prayer leaders uh, so, because they didn't think they were quick enough to get up here before me. So I'm going to go ahead and lead a prayer. But first, go ahead and find Revelation uh, 21 and 1 through 3, and that will be our text for this evening. We've finished up our study of hell. We're going to go to the direct opposite. We're going to go to heaven. They're equally difficult, really, to comprehend because of their infinity. But before we begin, I'd like to lead a short prayer, please. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that we can assemble here with friends and and our spiritual family and study another portion of your word. We ask that you would open our eyes Allow us to behold truths that are contained in your scriptures, whether we are doing it this evening or whether we are doing it at home. Uh, Be with us so we can have a better understanding of your word. We confess we have so much to learn, but it is an exciting journey to learn. And uh, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins, forgive us every time we fail you. And this coming week, make us good ambassadors of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last time we left off, really, we left off with a lake of fire. When people die, they go to what in Hebrew is called Sheol. That's a temporary place. In Greek, it's termed Hades. But the final place, the lake of fire, is Gehenna. And that is permanent. And that is where every enemy of Christ, that is where everyone, and as we said, I think, last week, that's a choice that people make. They make the choice to go to hell when they refuse the grace that's available through Christ. He paid the price, and they're saying, no, I'm not going to accept your sacrifice. I'll pay the price myself for all eternity. They may not realize they're saying that, but that's exactly the choice that they make. It's a choice. Uh, so people that are in hell decide to be there. But when we get to the text that I read just earlier or set forth, Revelation 21, 1 through 3. This is, the, of course, the Apostle John. It's not John the Revelator. It is Jesus the Revelator. And John is the uh, draftsman. He's the secretary, if you will. But this is what was revealed to him by the Lord. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they, will, they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. That, as horrible as hell is, this is a 180. This hell is too horrible to imagine, and we went through last week, we went through the loneliness, the pain, the isolation, The sense of hopelessness, all of those things are associated with hell, and you take it to the opposite extreme, and you have some glimpse of heaven. 
because there everything exceeds our wildest expectation. The Bible makes reference to heaven 500, about 550 times in Scripture, 54 times alone in the book of Revelation. The Old Testament, it's referred to as the heights. New Testament means it's elevated or lifted up. So it's elevated to the heights. There are actually three heavens. Okay? The first one is the air we breathe. That's the first heaven. The second one is what they call the stratosphere, which to me sounds like something out of a 1950s black and white B movie where they had rocket ships and everything. But that's the moon and the stars and, and, and the sun, all of the planetary. Th- that's the second heaven. The third heaven is where God resides. That's our destination. The other two will be burnt up. But the point is, heaven, heaven, the abode of God, is a place. It is a place where spiritual, glorified bodies of saints dwell. So what do we know about it? The best description is probably in Revelation 21 and 22. Paul got a glimpse of it, but he was forbidden to speak of it. Ezekiel uh, gave it his best shot in the first chapter of Ezekiel, which shows how hard it is to describe. He, he, he did his best, but it's, it, it's, you, we get an idea of how uh, grand, grand it is. I mean, uh, indescribably grand. It was not forbidden for, for Ezekiel to at least try. But the best glimpse we get is by the Apostle John. And as Westerners, one of the things that I first noted is I saw the holy city. We don't think in terms, when we think in terms of city, we think in terms of crime, corruption. Who was this addressed to, though? You're addressing it to nomads. You're addressing it to desert people who travel all the time. What does city mean to them? Security. Surrounded by friends, family, loved ones, like-minded people. Security. The enemy is outside. The enemy can't get in. And that's why they would use the, the, the analogy of a, of a city. But it is a real place. Jerusalem is a real city. It's the capital city of hell, heaven. But... We don't have the same concept. We think of a city as, as filled with corruption and crime. Just the opposite to them. To, to them, it was a place of security where they could be at peace. You know, we think of the, you know, when the people of Israel were leaving Egypt, the Amalekites hit the back part of the column. Who's in the back part of the column? The elderly the elderly women, the children, grandchildren probably. And that's why God did not forget that. And he told them not to forget it. Tell Joshua, don't forget it. Tell it to your children. 400 years later is when Saul was given the opportunity to be the hand of God and, and, and exact divine retribution against the Amalekites. He treated it like it was any other battle. That's how he lost his kingdom. Wasn't about taking booty on this one. You could take booty on other deals. This was about the hand of God. Okay? So, 
but they were exposed in that column as they left Egypt. And God didn't forget about it. That was what cost Saul his kingdom when he didn't follow the instructions as given by God. But where we take it up here, just a quick review of the dramatic events that have transpired. It's the end of all time. All sinners are gone. Age of sin. Demons. People who rejected Christ. The Antichrist. Enemies of Christ. False prophet. They are now in a relatively small place called a lake of fire. They're gone. They're not going to bother anybody anymore. They are completely history. They have been dismissed into their own disconnected, isolated place. Also, the whole universe as we know it now is burned up. It's consumed by fire. All the ungodly are gone. And then God takes all of the holy angels, the godly of all ages, and creates a new eternal dwelling place of the redeemed and of the angels who worship God. This is what Ephesians calls that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, this is it. This is the fullness of times. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth at Isaiah sixty-five seventeen. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Why not? What would you remember? Whatever you remember would be tainted with sin. So if the question is, am I going to be able to remember X, Y, Z? The answer is no. But will you be able to recognize people? The answer is yes. But as far as the old life, it is gone. Because all memories of sin are gone. What will be our relationship to God? Now, this gets really where it gets hard to follow um, because it's so amazing that God would condescend to have this relationship with us. He's going to tabernacle with us. He's going to dwell with us. We'll be his people. God himself shall be with them. We're going to be with God. Um, of all the truths concerning heaven, the relationship that we will have with God is one of the most wonderful truths because all of our iniquity is gone. We are not troubled by sin anymore. Right now, we have a communion with God that we received when we were uh, baptized, uh, became baptized believers. We have a relationship with him through his word, through prayer. But still, we walk around in a tainted world. There's still some inhibitions there that will not be there once we get to heaven. It will, those inhibitions will not be there. Those things that interfere with even the best of, the, of, of us, or the, 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 our best qualities, I should say, when we are at our best and we feel at our holiest, 
we are still in a tainted world right now. And that interferes with our perfect communion with God. Thank you, whoever did that. Um, I was the second person to get married in this room. You should have seen us when we didn't have those little dudes trying to block out the light uh, to make this place dark. It, was, uh, it took an effort. Uh, God becomes our life. We are identified with him. So identified, it's like that psalmist said that 89.50. The reproaches that fall on him fall on us. His purposes are our purposes. His will is our will. His desire is our desire. We have real communion with God. And we get to hear him speak the word. He'll move in. We, right now, we still have ways. We have a communion with him. He, has, he shows his word to us. He also shows his providence to us. Uh, one of the amazing, it's so amazing I can barely uh, understand it. I didn't understand it for a long time. But John 17 is Jesus is, is, knows that he has, he's going to the cross. He knows and he is seeing his work as being completed when he has this prayer that appears in John 17. Now, there's several amazing things here. But look at verse 24. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, that's us, be with me where I am, why? That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. We are going to be to where we can see Christ as he really is. We will hear him as he really is. He's going to, man, he's, he's going to manifest his reality to us. What we're saying is, you know, we, we think in terms of, oh, I'm, I want to go to heaven. This is Jesus praying that we be with him. Yes, but he wants us to be where he is. We don't think in those terms. We think in terms of us wanting to go there. But rarely do we think in terms of Jesus wanting us there. as badly, More, more than, so than we want to be there. Um. It's hard to conceive, but not as spectators. We're not going to sit around just watching. We're going to have interaction with Jesus. Uh, we're not going to be observers. We will have communion with him, perfect communion with him, not inhibited, not interfered with any taint of sin whatsoever. So in other words, what I'm saying is we're not going to a place. We're going to a person in the form of Jesus Christ. We're going to him when we pass this life. He wants us with him. That's, you got to work a little bit to get your mind around that one. That the, that the Lord Jesus Christ desires us to be with him. So we're going into a perfect fellowship with Christ. And thinking of, of being in communion with a holy God, 
can be a little bit more than more than a little bit. It's it's very intimidating. We can think of some uh, examples. What Isaiah say in Isaiah six? He saw in Isaiah six. What's his, what's his word? Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He doesn't say, wow, this is really, this is really something, Lord. He is so intimidated by the holiness of what he sees, he feels so out of place. Um, the Apostle Peter in Luke uh, when he realized, you know, the Lord said, throw on the other side, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. How informal we can be sometimes when we approach the throne. We, we, these are the people that knew and saw the throne room. Isaiah had that wonderful uh, view into the throne room of God. Um, But what made them so intimidated? The fact that they knew they had sin in their lives, that they knew that they were, surround, they were surrounded by pure holiness, and they weren't holy. They turned out to be true, faithful followers of Christ and faithful followers of God. They did what he said, but at that time that they were there, and they, they, they were overwhelmed by what they saw. Point is, God will make us so that we are not overwhelmed because He will, we will have that degree of holiness that He gives us that will enable us to have perfect communion with Him and Christ. We still, there's no way that we will even then be able to understand everything about God. But in a sense, you know, in Exodus 33, no man can see God and live. Well, in a sense, though, we will see God because why? He clothes himself with light. He's light. Again, the opposite of everything that we said about hell is true of, the opposite is true of heaven. It's light. God appears as light. Just the reverse. Security. Never having to worry about anything again. But all of the old that interferes with what grieve all the old things that grieve us now, whether it be physical illness, whether it be a certain type of sin. Whatever it will be, that will be all cast in the lake of fire. That will be all gone. And death is going to be swallowed up in victory. The new heavens and a new earth, that's what we will enjoy. And will you remember people? Yes. Will you remember your grandmother? Will you remember your friend that you played ball with if you see him in heaven or her yeah yeah but that's not the main point that's what people kind of think of but that's really not the main point the main point is we will have 
and interaction with Christ. And we will see him as he really is. He will teach us. Our minds will be opened, expanded, so that we... It's not going to be boring in heaven. Because it's going to be... There's an infinite uh, learning experience that's available. Uh... The translation, in my father's house is many mansions. Really, that's not a very good translation. It's all one house. There's many rooms. We'll all be together. In fellowship. In communion with the Father. That's what salvation gives us. We pray now, but we'll be able to talk to God will be able to listen to the counsel of Jesus that is what Jesus wanted his prayer in John 17 always amazed me that he wants God to think of us as God thought of him isn't that amazing And he does. Neither I pray for the first twenty. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That is us. He just named it. That's Jesus praying for us right there in verse twenty of John seventeen. And Jesus will have his prayer answered. I used to think that those who were commentators um, that come to mind, James Burton Kaufman or people of that nature, I used to think, I, I'm a big fan of Charles Spurgeon. I used to think the, the ones that come to mind, whether they write devotionals or, or they write commentators, or they, they write commentaries, that they were just smarter I don't think that anymore. I think they spent that much time in prayer and with the Word. I think that's what is essential. We need to spend more time talking about heaven. Uh, there is a... Uh, I had it, but I buried it. Well, maybe I didn't. There's a story in Pilgrim's Progress about the two pilgrims on the way. And uh, what makes you... Here it is. One turn to the other. What makes you feel uh, better? What makes you feel the best of anything to think about where I'm going I was in Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress they were on the road in fact to the celestial city the moral of the story is thinking about where you're going 
And sadly, too much of the time now, we, the, the, too much of the nominal church thinks too much about the world and how we're doing in the world. The focus should be where we're going. Um, and we still need to spend a lot more time with that paradigm, that, that focus. Where we're going. Because it changes, it only changes everything. You see yourself differently. You may not, you, you may not be the richest person around, or what? Who cares? Who cares what your uh, physical limitations are, or who cares what your economic status is? Because that is the focus: is heaven. That's the end game. That is that is the end object of our desire. And when that is kept in mind, it changes everything. Uh, but sadly, so much of, uh, of the world has crept in that it, it, it taints it and, it and it disrupts. We become preoccupied with work and we, become, we start missing too much church because we've got to attend this or that function or this function. We would be better off if we spoke more of heaven and kept, kept heaven in mind. Because at the end of the day, there's only two ways to go. We're either going to heaven or we're going to go to hell. We've seen the horrors of hell. Just touched very lightly because I've only got one more week. We'll get into it a little bit more next week. We, we went into some detail of what a person in hell feels. Isolation. Hopelessness. Take all that and turn it a 180. There's nothing but hope in heaven. There's nothing but good communication. There's nothing but good friends. There's nothing but common interests. There's nothing but victory. That's where we're headed. That, that should be our focus. Not this world, which, as we have just said, is going to be all burned up. Every bit of it is going to go. Every IRA, every kill plan, whatever they've got out there, that always amazes me. You know, if you get this insurance plan, you know, you're going to spend your retirement. You don't know. You're just trying to sell insurance, pal. That person may kill over, or he may not. You're wanting to sell insurance, but he doesn't know what he's going to make it to be X number of years old. There's no guarantee of that. Uh, I've seen some of late, young, athletic, just in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. And we're in eternity unexpectedly. I do not know whether they were ready for that or not. It's not for me to say. I have no idea. I just know that we don't get to pick our timing. Best thing to do is be ready at any time. If there is anything that uh, we can do to assist you with uh, your relationship with the Lord, if anyone needs to be baptized this evening, if anyone needs prayer, be happy to assist you. Room 100, for anyone that was not uh, here this morning, 
uh, room 100, communion has been prepared and is available. And uh, I believe Daniel Tigner, after we have one more song, Rod, then after that, Daniel Tigner will uh, lead us in a closing prayer. <laughs>